Well, good morning. I wonder if you would pause and pray with me for just a moment before we get started. Um, just in regard to uh, what's going on in our country related to the Trayvon Martin case. Would you just pause and pray with me? Lord, um, for some of us, this is a very, very difficult and scary um, issue and moment. And Lord, we especially want to just lift up those for whom this is a, um, the, the verdict from last night is, uh, is, is scary and unnerving. And, and Lord, the division in our country over this and so many issues. Lord God, would you come only as you can, Lord God, and bring good out of this? Would you indeed make the life of that young man, Trayvon Martin, count? Would you make it matter? And would you bring your, your peace and that passes understanding to every corner of this country. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you. Good morning. Um, I was at a conference recently, and the conference speaker opened his uh, message with a couple of statements that I'm going to share with you, open my sermon this morning with, which is two things. The first is that you will die sooner than you think, And no one will remember you. So if you were expecting Joel Osteen this morning, I apologize. That is not what you're getting. Uh, Now, so we're talking, this is, our psalm is Psalm 90. We're talking about death at some level. And this may not be appropriate for, for children, perhaps here, you know, this morning. I know there's at least one time sticks out to me when I, happened upon the issue of death with my daughter was, I think it was her birthday. I was taking her to McDonald's and she was four or five. I don't know how this came up, but somehow the topic of death had come up and I just was like, yeah, she, you know, she's, she, she can handle this. And I just, yeah, I mean, you know, cause we all die one day, Kayla. And somehow she hadn't yet gotten the memo about that. And so she says, what do you mean, Dad? And I'm like, well, now it's too late. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, it's true. Like, we all die one day. And a few minutes later, she is in tears saying, I don't want to die. And I'm like, this is a great birthday present. Happy birthday, sweetheart. You're going to die, okay? Eat your hash browns. It was not my best moment as a dad. Anyway, this conference speaker, you'll die sooner than you think. No one will remember you. Um, he went on to talk about how his grandfather was lying on his deathbed. And he said to the people in the room, he said, don't let them forget me. And he remembers thinking, okay, I've, I've got to honor that wish. And so his kids are running around later on, and he's trying to get them, oh, remember your great-grandfather kids? And of course, they don't care about this guy. They'd rather run around and have fun. And he realizes... This is a very difficult idea to keep this man's memory alive. You'll die sooner than you think. No one will remember you. Now, some of you are going through a health crisis right now. Either you or a loved one, and you don't need to be reminded of the first half of that. And the second part of that isn't entirely true because 
you will be remembered by your friends and family, but eventually they will all die. As Yogi Berra said, you have to go to your friends' funerals or else they won't go to yours. (laughs) But within 50 years of your death, you will not likely be remembered by very many people. I knew that that was true when he said it, but but it just kind of struck me when I heard him talking about it. Um, And his point, which I'll touch on more in a minute, is that you can use the, the little amount of time you have on this earth to its best potential by investing in the next generation, those closest to you. Now, some may see what, say, well, that's what you think, because I'm going to be remembered by everybody. I'm going to make a mark on this world, which is one of the things that I believed about my own life. I <clears throat> wanted to be an actor when I was younger for the very reason that I, I wanted people to remember me. And my desire for that faded away as my faith grew, and I began to realize that being remembered by random people isn't the most important thing in life because those people will all pass away. But being connected to God and being part of the story that God is writing and the kingdom God is building really and truly is the most important thing in life. And if we're going to die sooner than we realize and if no one other than the few people that we're closest to will remember us, then that is even more true. So our passage today has some things to say about all this, some perspective to give us. You've heard the passage read, and it's too long to go hit on every verse, but let's walk together through it a little bit. If you'd like, you can get your your pew Bible out, open it up to Psalm 90. And then after we walk through it, I'll share with you my three takeaways. Now, it's attributed to Moses, who is called the man of God, and most scholars believe that it was attributed to Moses at some point along the way, not because they knew that he wrote it, but because the themes of the psalm uh, line up with something that he would have written, something he would have said. And the psalmist starts it by saying that the Lord is their dwelling place. He himself is their home. He looks backward in time and says that before the mountains were born, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It is a present tense Um, even though he's talking about the past and the future, because God is the great I am. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Before the mountains were created and into the future, whether the mountains are here or not, God is. Verse 4,000 years to us are like a day to God. Our time is a blip on the radar screen of history. But God literally is history. It is his story. God is not here for us. We are here for God. In verse 5, it makes clear that God is in charge of the length of our lives. It says, you sweep men away in the sleep of death. He compares our lives to grass that springs up in the morning and then is dry and withered at night. The Bible's theme is clear over and over that God is in control. Our lives are here and then they are gone and God controls that. And then the passage spends a good deal of time talking about the wrath of God, the anger of God. Verse 7, we're consumed by your anger, terrified by your indignation. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. This can make us a little uncomfortable. It's not a topic we like to consider. But as you see in this passage, 
The psalmist has no problem showing the wrath or the justice of God existing side by side with God's incredible love. And that's actually what we see in the cross. God's anger at sin, his unwillingness to stand for injustice, to go unpunished, is the reason that Jesus came to die for us. If there's no anger at sin, then there's no, there's no need for the cross. And that's one of the things that we have in our favor that the psalmist didn't have, knowing the expression of God's love for us in his son Jesus and his death on the cross. And then we get to the verse that I believe is the centerpiece, the, the driving force of the psalm, verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And one more, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. So, out of all these verses and the many points that could be made, I will make three. My first is that life is short and it's full of trouble and sorrow. Woody Allen put it another way. He said, life is full of misery, loneliness, and suffering. And it's all over much too soon. There's this weird push and pull of life, isn't there? Some days we experience such joy and happiness, we want it to go on forever. We're frustrated that it's over too soon. Other days, we are so ready for it all to be over. Life is hard, it's over too soon. But life disappoints us when we believe the opposite of this point is what we are owed. That is, we're supposed to live a long time. That is what we are owed. Furthermore, it's supposed to be filled with joy and bliss. It's what we are entitled to. You may look around the room at somebody else and you say, look at that person, they get a long life, success, a lot of stuff, great friends, a lot of ease. I, I'm supposed to get that too. The problem with that is that the comparison game is a very dangerous one to play. The reality is life is short. Pastor Mike has said it, even when life is long, life is short. And if you're expecting ease and joy in the absence of pain, you're going to be disappointed. Over and over again throughout the Bible, the theme that keeps cropping up is what is gained through suffering. Moses went through a great deal of suffering, didn't even get to enter the promised land at the end of his life. You have Job. You've got the Apostle Paul who at his conversion is told how much he must suffer for the name of Jesus. The apostles in Acts 14 say, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. A.W. Tozer has a famous quote that I remember reading for the first time and, and thinking, what? Here, here's the quote. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. What, what sort of God is that? That didn't make any sense. It seems counterintuitive. It seems counterproductive. And yet, that is what men and women of God throughout the years have found, that we learn so much through the challenges of life. In fact, it's often the annoyances 
and the challenges, the hardships that remind us that we're living too much for ourselves. We need to live more for God and for God's kingdom. So life is short. It's full of trouble and sorrow. Number two, we gain wisdom from knowing how to number our days aright. In verse 12, the psalmist asks God, teach us how to number our days aright. Now, this request means more than just simply asking God to help counting our days. We don't need God's help with that. But it's asking God to, to make, help us make the most of the days that we have. As Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, we are to live wisely, to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That is, this, this earthly life is short. So that's what this guy at the conference was talking about. The point of life is not whether you're remembered or not. It's to make the most of the days that you have, to get to the end of the life, your life and to, to hear God say, you did it, great job. A friend of mine, Justin McRoberts, who's performed here a few times in the past, has a, a great song, and the chorus of the song says, it's, the question isn't whether you're going to die, because you're going to die. The question is, are you going to be done living when you're through? We miss the point of life when we think that our earthly lives are supposed to go on forever. And this shows up in our culture in a lot of different places. I was in the checkout line this week at the grocery store, and I see this magazine, People Magazine special issue, and the, the title of it was like something like Gone Too Soon, 56 Celebrities Who Left Us Too Early, something like that. The whole magazine is marketed around this idea that these great people shouldn't have had to leave this life too soon. It's, it's not fair. It wasn't right. <clears throat> Understandably, yes, there are such things as tragic deaths, and it's understandable to feel that way about people who die what we think is too soon. But it's this idea that, hey, we are owed 70 or 80 years. In Luke 12, Jesus tells a story of a man who has more crops than he knows what to do with, and you can almost imagine this guy going, well, look at, look at how the good Lord has blessed me. Boy, he must have something great for me and for the rest of my life. And he starts thinking, what am I going to do? And he says, I know. I'll tear down my little bitty barns, and I'll, big, I'll build really big barns, and I'll just kind of, you know, hang out, and I'll live easy. And Jesus quotes God saying to this man, calling him a fool, says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded. We don't know what will happen in life. The wise thing to do is, is to not hope in the future or in our stuff to make us happy, but rather to live for something bigger than just ourselves. Now, does this mean that we should be paranoid about our death? No. From a statistical point of view, most of the people in this room will live to be in their 80s. And yes, you should plan for the future. But some of us will not be around to be in our 80s. And none of us are promised tomorrow. Now I want to pause here and apply this to a couple areas of life. Uh, and the first is to parenting. Now some of you are empty nesters. Others of you don't have kids. Some of you don't have kids yet. Bear with me for a moment. Um, I've been working with young people and their families for the last 15 years, which gives me a, an interesting perspective on this topic. 
My daughter Kayla was born just a few months before I took the job here, and because I'm good at math, that means that Kayla is now 15, and she is about to be a sophomore in high school, and I have three years left with her in my house, and I won't bore you with the, I can't believe it, and how did this happen, and there's, you know, it's just people grow up, everybody knows that, okay? But this church in Atlanta has made it uh, their thing to help parents grasp the time remaining that they have with their kids at home. They actually have an app that you can get on your phone to determine how many weeks you have left. And I don't, you know, it's, it's not determined for you to, as a countdown, like to celebrate. I think it's more designed <clears throat> for you to, to know, hey, there's a, there's a small window of time that we each have. And the family ministry here is actually going to have a display ready in the fall with a bunch of jars and marbles in them for depending on how old your child is. And each marble in the jar uh, stands for a week of life until they hit 18 and are headed out. The idea is that you have a very small window of time to be with your kids as children. And there are many analogies that I could use and that have been used the one that I want to share with you that I think I made up, and I, I think I made it up because I don't know anyone outside of the country of Canada who would be thinking about the sport of curling. I've never done curling. <clears throat> Some of you have, but curling is huge in Canada. It's like hockey and then curling. Uh, everywhere else, we just sort of pay attention to it during Winter Olympics time. But, um, and I should write a book like Parenting is Curling. It'd be huge in Canada. Anyway, um, so the analogy is that parenting should be like curling. Curling, you've got these big stones uh, that are smooth, and you've got a handle on top, and it's like shuffleboard, if you ever played shuffleboard. And you slide along the ice, and you have this rock going in the direction you want it to go, and you, at some point you have to let go, and the rock is supposed to land in the target called a house at the end of the ice. And maybe you see where I'm going with this. When our children are young, you, you, you are holding on. You're controlling completely everything about your children. And you're heading them in the direction that they should go. But at some point, you have to let go. And the direction that they've been heading in is the direction that they will keep heading in. Now, you continue to have influence. In fact, once you've let go of the rock and curling, your teammates come along and they've got these brushes. And they can, they can sweep in front of the ice and can help guide the rocks, but it's not the same as, as when you've, you, were, you were holding on to it. So at some point, um, you know, after we, we, we head children in the way that they should go. At some point, if you're wise, you let go, and the direction that we've, we've let them in will be the guide, and we still can influence them like those brooms. Um, the point being, take advantage of the time that you have while you are holding on to the rock. Not in an obsessive way, but take seriously your role as parents. You only have so much time holding on to those rocks before you have to let go. And whatever direction you've, you've put them in is, is the direction that they're heading. And there's, of course, the other extreme to go to is to care so much about your family that you can make it into an idol. You can obsess about it. And that's one of the reasons I like this analogy, because you have to let go. If you, if you hold on too long in the sport of curling, 
It's, it's illegal. The, the rock that you've sent doesn't count anymore. So how practically do you do this? Well, my intention is, I don't want this to become a parenting sermon, but I do believe that you can make, you can number your days rightly by being emotionally present for your children, father and mother, on a day-to-day basis. There's no substitute for your kids knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have time for them every single day. That's how you can number your days rightly with them. An ongoing living out your faith in front of them. That's the gift that you can give them. They can see that your faith is real as you live out your life in front of them. And then there are the events along the way as well. Uh, For my family, we've been able to go to a family camp a couple of times and be together for a week in a Christian environment and just have these sort of moments where we're all together. We learn from another family these, uh, uh, you know, one ritual that we've adopted that after the child finishes eighth grade, uh, the same gendered parent goes on a trip with them and just sort of acknowledges this, this, this step into the next you know, level. Four years left of schooling. Um, whether that's going on a road trip or flying somewhere or even if it's just finding another time. Having one-on-one time for a weekend or something with one child is, is very important. Uh, and one Final comment, which is actually a plug, is that this fall we're actually having a a parenting conference, which we don't do very often here, but first week in October we have someone coming in doing a conference entitled The Secrets of Influential Parenting, and if you have a child ages 8 to 18, I hope you'll consider that. You'll hear more about that. So that's parenting. The other I'll just touch on briefly, but it affects most of you, which is the arena of work, and that's your work, whether it's a student or as an adult. Some of us look at work as this burden, something that we just sort of have to get through. Others of us may take work too seriously. It becomes our identity. It becomes the thing that defines us. Well, Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. A few verses later, it says, we, whatever you do, work at it with all of your hearts, working for the Lord, not for people. So if we're numbering our days rightly, knowing that we we have a limited number of them. We'll see, we'll see everything from God's perspective. We'll look for ways to honor God by doing well whatever it is that we're asked to do because we're working for him, not just for our boss. We'll look for opportunities daily to bring the grace and the mercy of God into the lives of our coworkers. So, Point number one, life is short, it's filled with trouble. Point number two, we gain wisdom from knowing how to number our days aright. And finally, point number three, we gain satisfaction in life from looking to God for happiness. Verse 14 says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. I'm going to show you a clip of a movie. I don't need to set it up. I don't think most of you, whether you have kids or not, I think it's been around a while. It's a great movie. It's a pivotal clip. An important scene in this movie. Here it is. Star Command. Do you read me? What 
you responding, read you loud and clear. Buzz Lightyear, planet Earth needs your help. On the way! Buzz Lightyear, the world's greatest superhero, now the world's greatest toy! Buzz has it all! Blocking wrist communicator! Calling Buzz Lightyear! Karate chat action! Wow! Pulsating laser light! Multi-phrase voice simulator! In the secret mission, in uncharted space. In the secret mission, in uncharted space. And best of all, high pressure space wings! To infinity and beyond! Not a flying toy. Get your Buzz Lightyear action figure and save a galaxy near you! Buzz Lightyear! Available at all Alice Toy Mountain outlets in the Tri-County area. You've got this brilliant moment of self-discovery captured in one of the greatest animated movies of all time. Buzz is completely deluded, right? He believes he is the Buzz Lightyear, not just a toy. Um, he thinks he's a space ranger who has to rescue people who are in danger. He will not believe anything. So he sees this commercial, realizes, oh, I am a toy. Uh, his hubris, though, just kind of Props up again. No, no, no. I, I bet I can. I, I, I flew before. I can do this. Tries to fly. He, of course, fails. And I, I don't think the writers necessarily knew the social commentary that they were making, but so many people in the world are Buzz Lightyear. Self-important, deluded. I am the coolest guy that ever was. Life is all about me and my accomplishments. And the best thing that can happen to the Buzz Lightyear and all of us is discover that we are not as important as we thought in the way that we thought. But then something really great happens afterwards. So Buzz is depressed, and if you remember, he's, the daughter comes in, dresses up as Mrs. Nesbitt, and he gets drunk on tea, and it's, it's hilarious. But So he's, he's depressed now, and he's talking with, with, with Woody, he says, you were right all along. I'm not a space ranger. I'm just a toy, a stupid little insignificant toy. And Woody stops him. He says, wait a minute. 
Being a toy is better than being a space ranger. Over in that house is a kid who thinks you are the greatest. And it's not because you're a space ranger, pal. It's because you're a toy. You are his toy. If, if we look at, at our situation on the face of it, it can become depressing. Depressing. We can realize that you know, the things that we thought we were going to accomplish in life, maybe they didn't work out the way we thought they would. We're all going to die someday. That can be really depressing. Except for the fact that we have a creator who made us for himself. He alone gives us meaning. We are his. The same way that they make a deal in this movie about how the, the, the boy Andy writes his name on the bottom of your shoe. And that, that's when you know that you've made it. God writes his name on our hearts. And he says, you are mine. That is what gives you meaning. That's what gives your life meaning. When we are satisfied in the morning with God's unfailing love, we can be glad in the face of what could be believed to be really depressing about the fact that our time on this earth is limited. That's what gives our life meaning. If we instead look to to our jobs, to our families, to our possessions, our relationships, whatever it is to give us meaning, it's not going to do it. And those things that God gives to us as gifts will only have significance. We will only be able to enjoy them as, as those gifts from God. Once we have surrendered to the notion that God himself is the source of our happiness. If we're satisfied in the morning with God's unfailing love, we can enjoy the rest of the day as a gift from him. Woody goes on to say uh, to Buzz that Andy loves him because of how cool he he is. He says, you're so cool, your helmet does that whoosh thing. That's where the analogy falls apart for our purposes because God doesn't love us because we're cool. He doesn't love us because of what we can do for him. He loves us because he loves us. He loves us because he is love. He he loves us because when he sees us, when he sees our shortcomings, he instead sees the perfection of Christ. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. If we ask God to satisfy us with him, we will find joy. Our days will be numbered rightly. We will get to the end of our lives, whether they last another day or another hundred years, and he will say to us, well done. So as we close, I'd like to just give you a few moments to pause, to reflect on your own life. How are you numbering them? Are you frustrated with what life is giving you, with, with what life isn't giving you? Or are you trusting in God to satisfy you each and every day? Let me pray for us.